Welcome to Expert Opinion, the branding business forum where leaders share their views, insights, and experiences from the world of B2B branding. And now, here's your host. Hello, I'm Ryan Rikus, and welcome to Expert Opinion. Today's guest is Stephen Morris, founder of Matter Consulting. Stephen is a longtime friend and fellow brand strategist who years ago evolved his marketing agency into a brand, culture, and business advisory firm. Steve is the author of two books, the first titled The Evolved Brand, which outlines why and how to build a brand with a soul and humanize your marketing, which offers a great outwardly facing perspective. And his most recent book is titled The Beautiful Business, an actionable manifesto to evolve your business, brand, and culture, which is more inwardly facing. I truly believe you'll find some very useful insights from my conversation with Stephen that you can begin to use in your own company very soon. Stephen, welcome to Expert Opinion. Ryan, it's a thrill to be here, and it's uh, great to be back in conversation with you. I feel like we have uh, crisscrossed the globe together over the last uh, couple of decades, and uh, really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Well, as I follow the content you develop, from your ongoing blogs, which I really enjoy, to the two books that you've written, I find it very reassuring to see that we share a, a similar point of view. So I've been really looking forward to get for our time together. Why don't we just begin with your new book, The Beautiful Business? I just finished reading it and highly recommend it to any business leader at any stage of their growth cycle. Uh, so for me, I loved how you clarified important emotional benefits of creating a business that transcends just making money, which in the end becomes the beautiful foundation for a very successful business. So why don't, why don't we begin by, can you just share your vision of why you wrote this book? Yeah, I, um, so I've been in business for, oh my goodness. Uh, well, I'm going to say 27 years. It's going to age myself, but what the heck, right? Um, so, and, you know, over that time, I've, I've had the honor and the privilege to work with, you know, hundreds of brands and companies and literally thousands of business leaders. And, you know, just like you, you begin to notice um, a wide variety of things uh, in the work that you do, especially because we get to see the inner workings of organizations and um, work on the the brand and the culture side of things and really understand what makes them tick. And I think I began to notice and pay very close attention to the, to the, the companies that were frankly extraordinary in what they did and uh, versus say the ones that were just pretty good or average. Um, and as I began to think more deeply about what is the things that makes those organizations uniquely different, uh, either great or what I might call beautiful, I wanted to study what that was and actually break it down for people because as we know, first and foremost, the world business is not easy. Uh, we as entrepreneurs know that fact and we've lived that fact for decades. I have uh, an acute um, empathy and and. You know, the world of entrepreneurship is near and dear to my heart, uh, not just because I am an entrepreneur, uh, but I've, I've gotten to work with so many. And so really part of the reason I wanted to write the book was not only to study what made you know, organizations beautiful from the inside out, but how to serve that up in such a way that, that they could both be inspired by and informed by some of the things that I've been noticing about organizations and what makes them uniquely beautiful or uniquely powerful. 
And so that was the biggest impetus to write the book. And as you've, you've noted within all of my writing, the main reason I write is just through the spirit of generosity. Um, you know, you, you walk through the world and you notice and study certain things. And all of my writing is designed to give back to other entrepreneurs who are thinking about some of the same things that I'm thinking about. We appreciate that gift, Stephen. Thank you. So I, I noticed that there's a common thread that runs throughout this book and, and actually throughout probably a lot of your content. And that's around this idea of a people-centric organization. And I know that encompasses a lot of different things, you know, touching on purpose, culture, brand, and even business strategy. In fact, I love one of the quotes that you have in the book that there's nothing more powerful than a united group of souls ignited in a common cause with love at the core. Kind of expand upon that. How do you, how do you create a people-centric organization? Yeah, that quote that you just read is really the mantra for my consultancy, and it's why I do what I do. And, you know, the being perfectly honest, you know, my psychology background, I come at the world of business probably somewhat differently than someone who's trained in, say, an MBA program, which I am not. I have an MFA and I have, uh, you know, degrees in psychology. And so I really come at the world of business from a humanistic perspective. I believe that the best organizations out there, and frankly, no business can exist without people at the core. And so as much as I love big data and to study data and trends and look at analytics and even study you know, systems and processes, at the end of the day, it's the people that make those things happen. It's the people that in our world, such as the world of brand or communication, or even in the world of culture, it's that world that is driven by the intrinsic motivations of people. And I feel that if organizations don't get those components right and even treat their organization from a, look, this is for and by human beings at the end of the day, anyhow, mm-hmm. then they're not, they're not only missing the point, but they're missing an opportunity. And so that's kind of why I come at it, or maybe, maybe I'm just uniquely benefiting from my humanistic psychology background that actually applies into this world of business. And you know, when we think about, you know, a, a people first organization or a people centric organization, I think they more or less mean the same kind of thing. It really speaks to what you were talking about earlier, which is sort of this inside out approach mm-hmm. that, you know, I have the mindset that no business will el- ever out evolve where the leadership team is within the organization. And so the reason that that's relevant in this line of conversation is that in order for a business to take itself to the next level, it's the leaders that need to evolve. And usually they need to do that on a personal level, as much as a professional level, in order for the organization to go to that next level. Yeah, there's a lot to potentially talk about within there, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take a breath here. <laughs> so we do a lot of work in the area of either employer branding or culture, and we'll talk a little bit about both of those And what I've noticed is that, of course, the leaders set the tone, but what I found is the best approach working with our clients is a combination of top-down and bottom-up. So top-down, you know, know, people expect the leaders to set the vision and uh, even the mission maybe, and of course have to live the culture, live the values, um, set the direction, set the strategy. But what I found is that when we do our work in this area, the best leaders are also interested in what 
the employees uh, throughout the organization think and what they're looking for. And they're very interested in a process that involves getting those insights from all levels of employees. And we do that through in surveys or focus groups or one-on-ones or a variety of different ways, but get those insights from, from, from um, at all levels. And then that allows us to then have strong, I guess, foundation to build upon and make recommendations. And yet it takes a lot of time and a big time commitment. And, and what we find is that the leaders aren't always willing to commit to that. Yeah. What are your thoughts around um, advising business leaders on who are considering embarking on this type of initiative? Yeah, I, I well, I completely agree with what you're talking about in terms of the 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 both and of top down, bottom up, and or what I would call an integrative fashion. You know, I think it's the leader's role to set set the direction, set the foundation, and then let the culture be the culture. And so, you know, the biggest advice that I tend to give leaders as you know, some thinking about. Uh, helping them build or even navigate a people first organization is get comfortable with a little bit of chaos. And, and I don't mean be forceful in creation of chaos or being an instigator of chaos, but allow for the best of the individuals within your team to come forward and rise to the occasion and be the best version of themselves amidst the framework of the operationalized values, purpose, and vision that you set within your organization. So I think it's the, you know, it's the leaders or the leadership team's responsibility to really set what the what that framework is. But for them to really have trust in their team and step back and allow them to make decisions on their own, they're, what they're really doing is they're trusting the humanity of their people, right? They've, they've spent a lot of time, hopefully, uh, a process that says, okay, good people in our team looks like this, this, and this for mm-hmm. whatever job role or function is. Now we simply have to trust them to do their job and allow them to make decisions and give them the framework to do so. And so that, that system of creating you know, the purpose, the vision, and then the, the operationalized values within it, so long as people are honoring those things and making decisions on what's what's best for the organization or what's best for the comp- customer or what's best for the situation or scenario, then the leader can be super comfortable with a little bit of chaos and allow for, hey, mistakes are going to be made and people are going to learn from those mistakes, but really allow them you know, the leader should be hands off as much as possible in terms of the oversight. Because, you know, back in the day, if you go back 20 years, it wasn't uncommon to have a micromanager at every level of the organization, making sure that people delivered on certain things. Now, today, if we, if we looked inside of a culture, anyone who's doing micromanagement, for instance, is going to be kicked out of the door of any healthy culture. Mm-hmm. So we know that that doesn't work. And so I think, you know, the, again, the advice is get a little bit comfortable with chaos and simply trust your team to be the people that they're going to be. I love that. Uh, great advice. Cause it's going to, that chaos is going to happen no matter what. Totally. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yet if the, and this guys go back to your point, if the organization does a good job in defining their purpose of why they exist and their vision, what they aim to achieve and the mission, how they're going to achieve it and the values, what we stand for and how we behave. If they've done a good job clarifying that and communicating it and living it, then it allows the people to operate within that in a very innovative manner. 
we find that virtually every brand that we build, we find that the client prefers to be perceived to be more innovative. Yeah. And innovative isn't always about breaking breakthrough technology. It's, it could be just an innovative way of doing things. Yeah. And so I, I loved your thought there. And, uh, and, and, yet, and what that allows is that, um, like you said, you don't require the micromanagement. It allows people to push the appropriate boundaries of uh, within the guidelines of where the organization's going, but yet creates that that innovation, if you will, from within. And uh, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful way to go about that. Yeah, you think about so just one insert uh, bringing uh, the the famous management guru Michael um, um, Michael Gerber into this. You know, back in the '60s, I think one of his quotes was, "There's really only two core functions for every organization." And that's innovation and marketing. And so when you think about you're building on what you just talked about, it's like the role of innovation can happen on lots of different levels. But if we're not constantly thinking or thinking differently about how we're doing what we're doing, how we're serving, and then telling stories to the people that matter that we're telling stories to, which is what I would call marketing. So long as we do those two things really well within the organization, then we're going to keep evolving because the, as we innovate, where w- the stories that we talk about, the what we what we talk about within our marketing is also going to evolve at the same time, and so the marketing is always catching up with the innovation. The innovation always then outpaces the marketing. And we have to evolve both those things. Mm-hmm. Let's transition a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about this concept building upon this people centric organization. Mm-hmm. One of the largest areas of growth for us is in what we would call employer branding. And we've been pushing this um, as one of our offerings for many years. And we found that actually it's one of the, as a topic related to branding on Google search, it's the second most searched topic. So, and this came from like five years ago. I I can only imagine what it's at today. And when we're doing this, we were asking our client, why should the best and brightest work for your company? Mm-hmm. And they often don't have a very clear answer for that. And so our process, top down, bottom up, really does get into and ultimately delivers an employee value proposition and that does celebrate uh, the organization's most important asset, and that's its people. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we find ourselves in this, I'm going to say post-COVID, I'm not sure if that's the right term or not, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're in a, a period that's also been called um, the great resignation, where Many people are leaving organizations and finding the best and brightest, retaining and attracting is a challenge. Any thoughts or advice on how organizations can address this challenge? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's potentially a great deal to talk about here. And, you know, you, we might ask ourselves, well, what's really behind the great resignation or, or what, whatever we're calling it, the big quit? And it's my feeling that there's a few things, uh, and this is anecdotal coming from clients that I work with who are, are actually exceedingly uh, doing exceedingly well when it comes to employee attraction and, and retention. So part of what I'm seeing behind the great resignation is that people are leaving organizations that have unhealthy cultures. And there are a lot of ways we could describe that and people can insert their own version of what that might mean. And then I think there's a societal question that we that is certainly worth considering here, which is, you know, as we went through COVID, people sequestered themselves into their homes. And, you know, it was such a, 
an acute experience for so many people that people began to look very, very closely at what really mattered in their life and in their world. And we typically here in, in the United States, uh, not all of Western culture, I don't think Europe's like this, um, but we tend to be a, a work first society where, you know, as you go through college, like it's like, what are you going to do for a living? And then you go out and you go do that for a living and you change careers. And we commit so much of our time and energy into work. And then all of a sudden we might pop our head up above the canopy of life and say, wow, why am I doing all this? Why am I, why am I working so hard? And so I think COVID was one of those time periods where people actually had the opportunity to think deeply about what really does bring meaning in their life. And so I think the, the, the second thing that people are doing is leaving organizations where they're not finding meaning or life meaning. And it's those organizations that don't have a very strong or clearly articulated purpose and vision that are actually missing a massive opportunity because the minute a team member, a very talented team member in particular, understands what the purpose of the organization is and they can then connect that to their life purpose, then all of a sudden there's this deepened relationship and even like, it's like the employee version of customer loyalty. Like they're connected and they're in it to, to live it, not just to win it, not just to make money, not just to do exceptional work, but to do something that actually enlivens themselves. So the work of Viktor Frankl and logotherapy has everything to do with, we as human beings want to have meaning in our life. And unfortunately, the way, and this gets into a little bit of societal narrative, it, that we're not finding it in our communities, in our churches, in our synagogues, and things like that. And so now, as a Western culture, we're looking for meaning in our work. And so I think part of the great resignation of the big quit is people search for meaning through their vocation and through their places of work. And so the more an organization can really get clear about and live itself into its purpose and live its values, the more it becomes an attractive beacon for those people who are like, you know what, that organization, I love what they do. I love what they stand for. And I want to commit to that cause. So this goes back to there's nothing more powerful than a united group of souls ignited mm -hmm. in a common cause with love at the core, right? Yeah. When, we, when that team is ignited in that common cause and united together in doing so, the, this bond of belonging then gets created. And then that actually has reverberations on the outside world, which creates what we would call employer branding. So they have this brand reputation in the employee mindset or the, the recruitment journey. And all of a sudden people are then gravitating to this particular organization because of what they stand for and how that org organization backs up what they stand for through extraordinary experience from a, an employee perspective. Well said. So yeah, that, that connects us back to the concept of uh, being purpose-driven, right? And that you know the best brands and the best cultures are based upon a, a common purpose that is appropriate for the organization. It's appropriate for the individual. It's per, um, beneficial to the environment. It, it, it's you know, why we exist. It's that yeah. big question. So we do a quite a bit of work in this area as well. And, and as we help organizations define their vision, purpose, mission, the purpose is typically the most challenging yeah. uh, to, to try to write it in a way that's, you know, very pithy and very meaningful at the same time. And I'm really happy to see corporate America paying much more attention to this. 
Yeah. I was encouraged by the CEO of BlackRock who put out that challenge to other Wall Street CEOs to you know, develop a purpose-driven organization. You know, that North Star that is um, much bigger than and better than the organization itself, but really how it applies down to the community, down, down to the people. And yet it's hard to do that. It's hard to build, build that into a truly integrated brand. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to take it forward. I'm curious, how, how do you help organizations drive, develop that, that, that purpose-driven uh, mindset? The, I guess my answer with that is really a lot of the times that, and this is not always the case, it's not my job to define what that purpose is. It's my job to discover what that is. And so I, when I work with organizations, I'm really sort of separating the wheat from the chaff and getting into, and this is why I call it heart and soul work. Like what is the essence of the organization and what do they truly believe? Why do they, why do they deserve to exist as a company on this planet besides the intent to make money and profit? And most of the times it's there. And so typically it's, a, it's more of a, a sorting, sifting and mining process to discover what's truly there at the essence and then language that in such a way that it has this fusion between both a, a sense of grounded reality and aspiration. Um, you know, the, the beautiful thing about, uh, the beautiful and difficult thing about a purpose or a well-shaped purpose is that it's never really done. Mm -hmm. You can always be working to achieve it but there's always going to be more customers to serve or more ways to, uh, you know, to, to realize whatever the given purpose is within the organization. And so I have a variety of tools that I, I work with leadership teams on to investigate what that is. And part of it is, you know, things like brand essence exercises and, but it's, I mean, it's probably no different than what you guys do. It's, it's workshopping the heck out of what we do. It's, often getting people offsite into the heart and soul of why they do and sorting out the things that ha happen to be more peripheral and not disguise oriented purpose statements where it looks really good from a, an investor relations standpoint or really good from a PR standpoint, but it isn't something actually that lives at the soul of the organization. And so you know, I would say my process is it's much like, you know, putting the miner's hat on and going into the deep, elements of the organization and helping them discover what that is. And then I think the, the other really important aspect to that is shaping it in a language set that feels like it's written in the fabric of their culture that really comes from them. Mm -hmm. And even though it might be similar to what other companies have as a purpose, but the way it's said is so unique to that organization, no one else could put their brand or logo or, or company name on it. Yeah, it, it has to feel authentic. It can't be marketing jargon. It has to be just simple language. And you're absolutely right. It, it, ideal purpose is never achievable. It's just a constant mission and constant quest to, to uh, achieve it, which is the beauty behind it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stephen, I've, I've really enjoyed this so far. Um, and yet we're nearing our time here. What, if you would say, what, what is the one thing that leaders should start doing today, or maybe just as important, what they should stop doing? What, yeah. what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of my talks these days, and like you guys, a fair bit of my work has to do with how to build a people first organization. It's, it's at least half the work that I do um, in operationalizing, you know, the, the brand values and the brand purpose. And so I would say if, if you haven't begun to invest 
in building a people-forced organization, now is the time to do it. Now, obviously, the best time to do it was like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you haven't, if you haven't done it, do it now, uh, because if organizations don't do that, they're going to be even further behind the eight ball of attracting and retain, retaining top talent at this point. So my biggest advice was it would be to invest in building a people first organization and invest in a significant brand that is tethered to that. And then the other thing that I, you know, in, in the stop doing category is, you know, stop chasing customers, stop chasing employees that don't fit within your organization. And it's a mistake that I see fairly often that that organizations that don't have a, a an anchor element, which is really their their purpose and their belief system, mm-hmm. they go out and chase shiny object types of things, which is customers and and you know top employees, and they end up you know getting into a, a commodity game in that. Very well said. It applies to branding as well. We always say this: the narrower the focus, the stronger the brand. So have that clarity of exactly what you stand for. Um, and it takes away all those other distractions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stephen, thank you for being a guest on Expert Opinion. If uh, people are interested in reaching out to you, what's the best way to contact you or get a copy of your book or books? Yeah, Ryan, first and foremost, thanks for, for hosting this. Thanks for diving into the conversation. Uh, I hope people get a lot of value from it. I know that the work that you guys do and the work that I do is you know very much uh, aligned. Uh, the best way that people can reach me and uh, is through my website, and that's matterco.co, M-A-T-T-E-R-C-O.co. And uh, you can find out about my book there. You can sign up for my blog there. It's got about 27,000 people that read it on a weekly basis. And then I have a book website if you want to go directly to that, which is the-beautiful-business.com. Perfect. Stephen, any final thoughts or insights to share with our listeners? Now, just keep, keep putting love into your business. And the more love you put into it, the more love you put into the world, the better the world becomes and the happier you'll be and the more fulfilled you'll be. So don't be afraid to love your way into your future. Uh, well said. All right. Well, that concludes our show for today. This is Ryan Rikus, and you've been listening to another edition of Expert Opinion, a brand new business forum where thought leaders share their point of view. If you'd like to listen to past shows or read our blog series, visit brandingbusiness.com. And until our next show, grow your business by living and loving your brand promise. Cheers.